Well, since Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1, his followers have wondered when he would return again. When the events of the final days of uh, this existence would occur. And though the Lord told his apostles two verses before he ascended to not get caught up in times and dates and that they really weren't our business, it kind of doesn't stop us, though, does it sometimes? Many people throughout the church's history have, have attempted to do so. Uh, I stumbled onto a website that actually cited 220 instances in which very specific dates were tapped as the end of the world as we know it. Now, just in my lifetime, I'm going to give you a list of a, of a few of those things that I've run into since the Lord put me here on earth. I remember uh, my mother back in 1982. My mother read a book called The Jupiter Effect, and it predicted that in 1982, the planets of our solar system would be aligned the gravitational pull of which would cause cataclysmic disasters on earth, thus signaling the end of the age. Turned out I was scared for 12 months for nothing. (laughs) In the late 70s, throughout the 80s, it was widely believed the Soviet Union would be the nation to attack Israel in the end times, and then they weren't the Soviet Union anymore. And who knows if they're coming back. Israel became a nation in 1948. Jesus alluded to, quote, this generation not passing away before the end would come. And since a generation is widely thought to be 40 years, I heard a nationally known evangelist say at a crusade, Jesus would return in 1988. It was known as the generational theory. Well, people must have loved 1988 because that was also the year that Edgar Wiesenant wrote 88 reasons why the rapture is in 1988. He predicted the Lord's return to be from September 11th through the 13th, 1988. My brother and I were both in Bible college. We had a rapture party that night, (laughs) just in case. Uh, After the deadline passed, of course, Wiesenant wrote another book called 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1989. In 1992, as a, as a young minister, I received an unsolicited book and tract in the mail stating, quote, God's judgment day is near. In October of 1992, Jesus will come again. Anybody who was alive in 1999 will remember the prediction for the year 2000, starting with Y2K and going from there. Uh, so after their 1988 prediction was wrong about the generations, well, folks tried again. They said, since Israel did not really attain land until 1967, the rapture would be in 2000 with the tribulation ending in 2007, 40 years after attaining the land. Again, eh. Some of y'all might remember in 2011, a man named Harold Camping, his organization purchased ad space on billboards all through America, warning that the return of Christ would be on May 21st, 2011. When that didn't happen, he revised his opinion and the billboards to say it would be October 21st, 2011, which of course didn't happen. 2012 was the whole Mayan calendar weirdo thing and on and on and on. And of course, today, with the influence of China and now with Vladimir Putin doing his thing, the the old Soviet Union ideas are being resurrected. 
So I have to admit, there have been moments when world events seem to be aligning for the end of time. And we wonder, how much longer can it go with technology being what it is? So ladies and gentlemen, after years of study and education and over 30 years behind a pulpit and ordained minister of the Assemblies of God, personal investigation, I, I want to answer our faithful question, is this the end? I don't know. Aren't you glad you came to church today just to get this deep insight and profound teaching that no one else can give? Isn't that great? But the truth is we're not supposed to know. Because Matthew 24, 36 says, But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That's a pretty exclusive company. So I'm going to change the question. Rather than, is this the end? The real question should be, how shall we live? So now let's turn our attention to Matthew 24. I'm going to read about 14 verses here from the New King James. Matthew 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another. That shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. How shall we live in these weird, uncertain times? When anxiety seems to be normal behavior. I believe, number one, we need to live with urgency. Okay, we're not supposed to know the exact date. However, we don't sit on our spiritual hammock either. There's one huge reason why the Lord didn't give us a specific date for the end of time. Because he knows how we are with dates. The IRS estimates, oh, I had to bring the IRS into it less than two weeks before. The IRS estimates that one in five taxpayers wait until the final week before filing their taxes. Of those who owe, the IRS receives 61% of those returns after April 15th. The Lord knows how we are with dates. So I've never been a parent. But if we're running an errand and we're leaving the kids at the house, which is better to say, I'm going to the store. I'll be back in one hour. 
or I'm going to the store. I'll be back soon. Because on the first one, they know they've got 60 minutes of mayhem and chaos. But the other, they just don't know. The Lord is kind of smart. He gave us free will, but he's not dumb. He said, I'm headed home. I'll be back soon. That's what he said to all of us. So we need to live in that tension of urgency. And that means we can't lose our focus as believers in Christ. For the enemy of our soul would love to sideline and distract the church with meaningless things in order to sort of put us to sleep from the task at hand. You know, I think it's important that we sang what we sang this morning. When we sang, fear, you've lost your hold on me. Because we find ourselves tempted to be gripped with fear. When our president says, we will face massive food shortages. Wow, how do you not get fearful? You're like, okay, great, we'll plan on it, you know? And, and fear shows up and says, aha, now I'm your friend. And it can be so easy to lose our focus on the big picture because we're focused on this little thing right here. We can't allow turmoil to throw us into turmoil. See, that takes on a couple of forms. I mean, first, we can't use world calamity as a sign of of the end times. We really can't. Because Jesus said in verses 6 through 8, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Folks, it's been happening for millennia. And it will happen again. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, Jesus said. They've been happening for a long time, and we we can't allow them to divert us from what is truly important in life. And, And though some would try to seize upon world events to sell books and attract TV viewers, we can't become distracted with hypotheticals and hysteria. I think now more than ever, people need to see the people of God not panicking. This is a real opportunity for us, folks. Have we stopped to think about that? I know we get so caught up in political and financial drama all around us that we just feel like chickens running around with their head cut off. But this is an opportunity for us to show the rest of the world, here's how you live. Now, they can look at us as idiots, and it kind of happens a lot too. But they're going to come to us when they're the ones who have reached the end of their rope, and we're still worshiping God and trusting in him. They're going to come to us, and they need to see it first. I I think that also applies when we personally go through hardship. Jesus told us that in this world, we would have trouble. So we shouldn't be surprised when it comes our way. We we may go through our own little earthquakes and pestilences. When we do, we can get so overwhelmed by them, it can render us ineffective. The point of personal suffering is to draw us toward the presence of the Lord and relying upon his strength to carry us through. And I believe that if we retain our urgency, because he could come at any moment, He can use our story to bring people to himself. 
That's the point of our suffering. Is in the middle of it, we're still trusting him. It might be a battle, and we might have to say, I'm hanging on. Any of you, that's, that's like your testimony right now. I'm hanging in. But there's going to come a moment when you get through it. And the Lord is going to use that story in your life to draw people to the cross. Every story has meaning in our life. It's not pointless. It's not random. That's what the world thinks. Let's not fall into that trap. We can't allow our own suffering to cause us to turn inward and become self-absorbed. Because Jesus is coming back soon, we have no time to waste. Verse 10 says, and then many will be offended. Wow, I just described Twitter. (laughs) And some were offended by that comment I just made. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Wow, folks, that's social media. We also can't be distracted with offenses. Take note. I'm about to say something that might be viewed as offensive. I believe that being offended has become the church's biggest Achilles heel of the last 30 years. For whatever reason, we Christians have to be on our guard from becoming hypersensitive and thin-skinned. And it's all distraction by the enemy of our soul because he knows if he can turn our anger and wrath away from him and on one another, we ruin ourselves. But if we turn it against him, he's in trouble. If we take that urgency that I've always felt like the church is almost like a nuclear power plant. And we have this tremendous ability to produce clean energy that is powerful. But if we turn on ourselves, it's a meltdown. And it also affects the surrounding population in horrible ways. We have to be so careful. So rather than being mad at what he's doing to families, to schools, to the unborn, to the poor and the addicted, he's trying to sway us to channel it in the wrong direction and lose our urgency. I say it all the time. This is a law of life for me. If you've never been hurt in church, you've never gone to church. It's going to happen. Someone's going to say something we don't like, sing something we don't like, wear something we don't like, vote for somebody that we don't like, watch a TV show or movie we don't like, walk past us in the lobby without saying hello, not have proper control of their children, not use their turn signal as they leave the church parking lot, or leave the toilet seat up in the church bathroom. It's going to happen. The only inoffensive church I've ever attended is the one in which I'm the pastor and the whole congregation. It doesn't happen. And even I offend me at times. I do believe, and there was a, a wise 80-year-old man that I, that I knew from a previous church. He's one of the greatest men I, I ever knew. He said, Matt, I believe the church of Jesus Christ must become unoffendable. Isn't that a good line? I never forgot that. We have to. We have to get back to eternal business and recognize that Jesus could come back today. While on a South Pole expedition, British explorer Ernest Shackleton left a few men on what's called Elephant Island. 
promising he would return. Where later, when he tried to go back, huge icebergs blocked the way. But suddenly, as if by a miracle, an avenue opened in the ice. Shackleton was able to get through. Well, his men, now ready and waiting, quickly scrambled aboard. No sooner had the ship cleared the island than the ice crashed together behind them. Contemplating their narrow escape, the explorer said to his men, It was fortunate you were all packed and ready to go. They replied, We never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, The boss may come back today. Folks, the boss may come back today. Today could be the first day of the rest of our eternal lives. Do we live with that sense of urgency? Number two, not only do we need to live with urgency, but I think we need to live with endurance. We go back to the scripture. In verse 4, Jesus said, Take heed that... No one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Verse 11, that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he, in verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is a timeless passage. It provides great advice, whether to the Jews of the first century, Christians of today, or those who will give their lives maybe during the Great Tribulation. We must hold to the cross. We must hold to the cross. I know we're coming up on, on uh, Holy Week pretty soon. Can you believe next Sunday is Palm Sunday? And it reminds us once again. In fact, every day should remind us of the power of the cross. And what it means to our life every day. Today we don't really, even though Jesus said there will be those who come saying, I am the Christ, we're not seeing that happen all that often. By the way, Christ means the anointed one, or it's another way of saying Messiah. So it is a very special title given to him. Uh, We don't necessarily see that really today. We see many pseudo-spiritual intellectuals who believe that any spiritual pursuit is the right pursuit, even if it's Wacko. <laughs> and cray, that's a real biblical Greek term. I don't know if you know the word wacko in the original Greek means. Uh, but hey, it's spiritual. And all roads lead to God, right? Well, we sang it this morning. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The cross, and here's the reason. The cross is an affront to anyone who wants to attain spiritual fulfillment on their own. This is why Christianity is so offensive to people. You know, I got it. Here's a weird start to a story. I had a really interesting discussion. I was, a, uh, I was driving Uber, actually. I had an interesting spiritual discussion with a guy I picked up at a strip club. How's that? Okay, now I've offended like half the audience. I'm an Uber driver, folks. I'm not a participant. Not, not a customer. He got into my car, and I'm driving him home. And oddly enough, it was 2.30 in the morning, and oddly enough, he was sober. And he asked me what I did. 
besides driving Uber. Now, when people would ask me that question, I often didn't give them the full answer, especially if they were inebriated. It doesn't lead to good places. But the Lord kind of was like, tell him. And I said, well, I'm, I'm actually there. And he goes, oh, well, I went through the Catholic school system of Cleveland, and I'm not Catholic anymore. I went, All right. And so the discussion began. And I asked him uh, what he had trouble with. And he, he mentioned a couple of doctrinal things. He talked about infant baptism. And I said, yeah, you know, what I believe, we, we really don't, you know, there's nothing awful about it, but it's got to be a, a willful choice on someone's behalf. Then he talked about confession. He goes, why can't I just tell God that? I'm like, yes, mm-hmm, yes, we're with you. We are with you. Yes, I get it. And he said, and, and, you know, and I got friends that are Hindus and Muslims and uh, Buddhists. I, I don't understand why they, they can't go to heaven too. And, uh, and I said, Tyler, listen, man, I, I want to tell you why I decided to plant my flag in Christianity. I said, all the other pursuits of the world, all the other religions and spiritual pursuits are all about, here's what you need to do to get to God. Christianity is all about what God did to get to you. That's what separates it from every other thing in the world. That's why we hold on to the cross. Because no other religion has that. Yes, we'll celebrate the empty tomb, and rightfully so, but without that, there's no tomb. We've got to hold on to the cross. Billy Graham once said, the cross is an offense to those who would try to attain salvation themselves. The cross of Jesus reminds me about what God did to find Other religions are about performance. Look what I did to get to this place. Christians are like, I never could have done that. I'm a mess. But Jesus did all the heavy lifting and did all the hard stuff and all I had to do was believe it by faith and look where I am. And here I stand. And by the way, I'm still a mess. But the Lord is making me more like Him every day. 1 Corinthians tells me that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, isn't that an interesting phrase? To those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus never would have done what he did if it was just one of many solutions. It would have been an unnecessary exercise of pain, torture, and sacrifice. He is still the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through him. And as the years move on and we await Jesus' return, it's going to become more difficult to be a Christian. Anyone in the room have a friend walked away? I don't know if COVID did it. I don't know if a family tragedy did it. I've known people who walked out because of their success. And they thought they were the source of their success and not the Lord. We will progressively be seen as intolerant and judgmental, even though hopefully we always lead with love. We will only become more hated by those who refuse to accept God's free gift of grace. How do I know that? He said it in Matthew 24. But we must remember, our job is to show the true love of Jesus to the world.
Our job is not to be liked by the world. We must hold to the cross no matter what public opinion may say of us. We always show love and we don't expect it in return. But then secondly, we must hold to his voice. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. I can't think of a better way than by relishing our personal relationship with Christ. We must feed upon his words to us, written and spoken. Our relationship must not only be about ideas and intellect, our heart must be attached to this thing, because that's what a relationship is. Without it, Jesus will gradually become impersonal to us. He will become a concept instead of our Father. We cannot allow this to happen. We cannot allow ourselves to turn him into something less than he really is. If you know C.S. Lewis, you know that he was one of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century. But for a long time before, he was an atheist. And he, he taught at Oxford. But then he came to this wonderful conversion in Christ. And he wrote the following in his masterpiece, Mere Christianity. Quote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, Lewis says. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall flat at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Have you ever stopped to think of the gamble we've made as believers in Christ? I didn't have an angelic heavenly vision when I gave my life to the Lord because we do it by how? By faith. We do it by faith. If we're wrong about Jesus, then we are of all people most miserable. Think of all the things we've said no to over the years. But I believe he is the Son of God. And that by hearing his voice I am sustained. And that he has life abundant promise to those who hear his voice. I do know of at least three people who made the decision to become agnostic. One of them was one of my students as a youth pastor. He was one of my leaders. He believed that God had called him to be an assembly speaker. Ever seen what those folks do? They walk into a high school gymnasium (laughs) filled with hundreds of teenagers, and they take control of the room. Okay, that's not for the faint of heart. But it's something he told me, the Lord, and I knew him well enough to say, boy, he could do it. But unfortunately, his love for the world began to exceed his love for God. And he began to let loose 
of the one who saved him and delivered him, and he embraced all the temporary things that only lead to hopelessness. Our successes may cause us to drift away. We have to be careful. When God's blessing and we're succeeding, it's very easy to like throw God out of it. And we're like, that's right, folks. I applied myself. I'll be doing a TED Talk next week. You'll want to make sure and tune in. Well, great. Just make sure a part of your TED Talk is that God did everything. Just make sure that gets thrown in there. We must hold to his voice because the Lord speaks that he is the truth. Sometimes I need to hear the truth. How about you? Lastly, I think we need to live with mission. We need to live with mission. I, I alluded to Acts chapter 1 earlier when Jesus told the apostles it wasn't their business to know the times and the dates. Right after he says that, he says in verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Rather than a date, Jesus gave us a mission. We are to be his witnesses. More than anything else, more than having great programs or events, more than being seen in all the right places, more than attaining awards and accolades, we are to be his witnesses everywhere. And when the church forgets that mission, we end up a sleeping giant. God desires his bride to be fully awakened and about the business of expanding the kingdom of God. You want to talk about the end? Jesus had a whole different end in mind. See, we get concerned about the end of time. Jesus is more concerned with the end of the earth. That's the end we need to be concerned about. That's why missions, I think, always has to be a big deal with us. And I know it is at this church, both here uh, and abroad. Because the Lord is doing things all over the world. And this was a number of years ago. I, I, uh, I took a group of students to Honduras. I was the state youth director at the time. And we were at a, kind of an open-air church in the capital city of Honduras one night. And someone else had preached, and, you know, I'm just sitting there. And uh, I had nothing to do with this story, by the way. And they called for people to come forward for prayer. And so these folks from Honduras came forward. And uh, we asked the students to come and begin to pray. And we had one young lady named Lexa. She was from Bowling Green, Ohio. And uh, she didn't know how to pray for someone who spoke a different language than her. So she just began pr- uh, praying in her, in her prayer language. She began praying in tongues. Because she was like, boy, when in doubt, the Lord's given me this, so I'm going to pray this way. And when she finished, the woman from the city turned and looked at her and she said, you speak the most beautiful Spanish. And Lexa had never had a Spanish class in her entire life. That's what the Holy Spirit does, folks. That wasn't a con. That was the real deal right there. It's happening all over the world. 
And you, you're right. I think we do see it more in, in areas with poverty. But I think the United States has such a spiritual poverty right now that maybe God wants to begin working through his spirit in unbelievable ways that we haven't seen in decades. Are we open to that? Or does it have to be through that guy on TV? Can it be us? Does the same spirit that dwelt in Christ and raised him from the dead dwell in us? He certainly does. There are things God does when we live with a sense of mission. And that's the kind of thing that happens through us when we give and we go. But not only that, there's a personal responsibility here. We must personally take the gospel to the end of our world, however far that is. It may not get out of Summit County, but we need to take the gospel to the ends of our world. So for a moment, let's not think about South Africa or Portugal. Let's, let's think about our Jerusalem. For some, their, their own home is a mission field. Some of you are going home to a house full of non-Christians. Mission field. What is our Judea and Samaria? Maybe it's our school. Maybe it's our neighborhood. Maybe it's our workplace, our social groups that we belong to. What is the end of the earth, of our personal world? Who are those people whose lives we intersect with infrequently, who are just on the fringes? The gospel is for them as well. They may be people that we see monthly, every six months, or just once in our life. I was on my way to a speaking engagement. I lived in Columbus at the time, and I was headed to Cincinnati. And as I got going, I got off to a late start. And then I realized my gas was on empty. So I thought, oh, man. So I, I stopped at a gas station, and it was a September, uh, a September Sunday afternoon. It was a beautiful day. I had my sunroof open. I got to the BP gas station, and I started pumping gas. And that's when I noticed this young woman walking towards me. And I took a look at her, and I could tell she had lived hard. And then my next gospel thought was, please don't come to me. Please don't come to me. Please don't come to me. Sorry. It was almost a good Samaritan moment, to be honest with you. Because in my head, I'm thinking about what I've got to do, and I need to be on my way. Yeah. Like that first or second guy who walked past him. And she came up and she said, hi, I'm Alicia. I'm like, hi. And she said, uh, do, you, do you have any, is there any cash you can get? And you, boy, you could, her face was broken out. You could tell she was a meth addict. And I said, um, no, I don't really have any cash. And uh, she goes, do you, do you have any change in your car? And before I could say, well, uh, she was in my car. She poof, into the passenger seat. I'm like, and there she is. Okay. I now have a passenger. Okay. This is, and she's grabbing change from the center console of my car. And I'm like, okay, I'm a minister of the gospel and I have a drug addicted woman in my car. <laughs> Bible college did not prepare me for this. But you then realize, I guess I have an opportunity. <laughs> and I'm, I'm communicating to her through the open sunroof. And, 
And, and, I, have, and I'm like, have you eaten? Because I noticed the Wendy's was right next door. Uh, no. I said, all right. Uh, and she asked if I would drive her home. I said, how far is home? She was like, it's just down the road. I'm like, okay, we're going to get you something to eat. And we're going to get you home. Okay, thank you. You know, and I finished fueling up, and we pulled into the Wendy's drive-thru, and, and I said, okay, go. I'm like, I'm going to take care of it. You just order whatever you want. I'm like, what would you like? And she's like, I like a large Dr. Pepper. And I'm like, she'll have three hamburgers, three fries. I'm like, girl, you need to eat. And so we just, we loaded her with food. And I handed the thing, and, and I said, it is close, right? And she, and indeed it was. It was about a half mile down the road. And I dropped her off at a place that was whew, not a place you'd want to live in. And, uh, and you could probably only guess the things she had to do to get money for drugs. Because when I dropped her off, and she goes, thank you, oh, thank you very much. And I'm like, oh, it's no problem. Hey, I just want you to know, Jesus... Jesus gave me the free gift of love. I didn't deserve anything, and I came to him begging for love and forgiveness, and he gave it to me more than I could ever understand. And she said, okay, thank you. And she goes, is there anything I can do for you? I'm like, nope, nope, go ahead and go on in. Go ahead and go on in. It's been a wonderful trip. I didn't have a wonderful day. Now, look, we don't know, right? I, I don't know where Alicia is today. I don't know if she is today. I don't know. But sometimes the world shows up. Man, we weren't planning on it. Isn't that most of our witnessing? I, whenever I plan them out, it's like pfft, nothing. And then suddenly, poof, and you're like, okay, not ready. Um, right? I think that's just kind of how it happens. And we never know. There are some folks we'll only see once. But it's to the ends of our earth. And we realize, well, God must think I'm up to this. And I may not be able to do it like my pastor does it, but I'm going to do it from my heart. And if nothing else, I'm just going to tell my story about how I came to know Jesus. That's, all, that's what I'll do. Because, folks, you can't miss with that. Because who's going to say, no, that didn't happen? And you're like, um, okay. Because it's your story. And the time is short. Can you and I make a commitment to take the message of Jesus to the ends of our world? Can we, can we put the hurt to the enemy by robbing him of the people he thought were in his church? That's something my brother used to say back in the day when he was a youth pastor. He said, all I know is Satan's youth group is still bigger than mine, so I am not happy. And, and we need to start stealing from Satan's church. There are way too many people attending, whether they know it or not. So we need to live with that sense, that sense of, of urgency. Because we don't know. This could be the day. So if you've got someone right now that you're connecting with and having a relationship with, stay in it. Don't give up. Because you might be the only link to the cross for them. Would you bow your heads, please? We'll ask the team to come back, wrap this up really quick. Thank you. This morning, I, I want to ask, and we just want, want you to concentrate on your life for a moment. That's why we ask you to close your eyes without distraction. I want you just to think about your life right now. And um, maybe there's someone today 
who needs to make that decision. Okay, maybe your, your life doesn't look like Alicia's. And so you could say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not there. So No, the question is, have you given the Lord control over your life? Have you, have you given him control over your future, your family, your finances, your everything? Is he Lord? It's not going to make sense until we do that. And this morning, if that's a decision you need to make, you can do that right now. Right now. Right where you sit. Because the Lord is here and he is with you. He is urging you. He is pulling you like a magnet to a metal source. He is pulling Will you say yes to him and let it be the first great decision that you can make? You could do it at your seat by praying something like this. Dear Jesus, I need you today. Only you can fix my life. I'm a mess, but I give everything to you. I believe you are Lord. I believe you are Savior. And from this moment forward, I want to live for you and not look back. Make my life what it is meant to be. And my friend, if you prayed that, would you tell someone? Would you tell someone you came with? Would you tell a family member? Would you tell your pastor, somebody? Because we want to celebrate that with you, but then talk about what this life looks like. Believer in Christ, at the end, was there someone on your mind? Is there someone at your work? Is there someone in your neighborhood? Is there someone on your softball team who needs Jesus? Maybe you're the one. Maybe it's just sitting down with them over a cup of coffee. And just saying, hey man, here's my story. I think Jesus could change everything. If you'd say, Matt, I I really don't have that person in mind. I've been allowing circumstances. I've been involved in the news more than I've been involved in a mission. And so, Jesus, I need you to give me a mission. I need you to give me the name and the face of someone that I can talk to and care for. Either way, as I pray over you, will you pray as well? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you that they are not content. They are grateful, Lord, for everything you have done in their lives. But they're not going to sit back. They're not just going to wait and let the days go by. They want to make a difference. Lord, bring a name. Bring a face. Bring someone to us who can be our mission. And then, Lord, remind us that we are equipped to do whatever you've asked us to do. That you've already given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And we will in faith go forward because we care more about their soul than our convenience. Jesus, give us a mission today and help us to carry it out 
to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, let's all stand. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, but I want you to leave today with that sense of mission. And even if you don't know who that is yet, please don't give up. Please don't just dismiss. Make it a part of your prayer life this week. Lord, show me. Have I, have I kind of cocooned myself in such a way that I, I can't get to anybody anymore? Lord, open that up in my life. I want to be an effective use of evangelism for you because today could be the day. And Lord, we care too much about them to worry about us. So Jesus... I thank you again for Bethel Church. I ask your blessing upon all today who are here, who are watching us at home. Lord, grip our hearts today with a name and a face, something we can't shake. We are here now for them. I pray that we will have the confidence to know that the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And your Holy Spirit has given us the strength and the power to be your witness. Lord, show what you can do through people who are crazy enough to believe you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. The people of God said, amen. Amen. I pray the Lord gives you an awesome week this week. And he gives you that sense of mission and that you have stories to tell when you come back next Sunday. God bless you all.